Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Bad hair. Yeah, you just shave it down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, bye. trust me, three-week-olds, you're not going to be thinking about your hair for a while. No. And we're just losing it. All right, here we go. Well, I like to tell people that he's like Jason Bourne just because I like and I tend to glamorize him a little bit and because he could probably hurt you with his pinky finger. Uh, But Adam Nasrallah is also a gentle giant and a gentle soul. And his mission really has always been to help people uh, be aware of their own personal safety, uh, whether it's on their phones or with their emails or doing business or being in large crowds. And so it's an interesting topic. It's a shift in topic, especially when we're talking with a former Canadian spy and intelligence officer but I think we're going to be able to get a lot out of it and maybe open up our minds a little bit to our own situations and how we're moving forward in life so with that being said I'd like to welcome you to episode 31 of living your life with Leanne Lang the podcast brought to you by extension marketing and for more information you can always head to extensionmarketing.com Adam, it's nice to see you. It's nice to see you too. I should say congratulations right off the bat. Thank you. Yeah. Entering into fatherhood. Yeah. That's probably the scariest adventure so far. (laughs) And you have had some incredibly scary adventures. Uh, We met a couple of years ago Mm -hmm. uh, on CTV Morning Live. um, Well, actually, we met at a charity event. But then I I thought you were fascinating. And so I kind (laughs) of brought you in and, and introduced you to the producers. You have a really interesting background. When people ask you, like, what do you say? I mean, it's 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 not usually hi. I'm a doctor. <laughs> How do you start a conversation? It's it's kind of difficult actually because it's yeah. a, at this point in my career it's a it's a real mixed bag. I started out after school after university doing IT support uh, originally as an engineer, and um, I got tempted by CSIS, and I ended up going to CSIS late 2016, early 2017, and I stayed there for almost eight years doing intelligence work. So, so. you couldn't have done in 2016. Sorry, my, yeah. my bad. 20, That's okay. Two, you're, you're 2006. sleep deprived. Yeah, yeah. I'm sleep deprived. <laughs> 2006. There it is. I lost yeah. a decade. Yeah, you did. That's okay. You'll lose plenty of decades, uh, you know, That's through true. fatherhood. So, okay. So did you have, like, were you athletic? Were you into, like, boxing or fighting? Like, were you, like, as a kid, like, were you... As a kid, I was actually a pretty stereotypical nerd. Um, I was into computers, and I was into video games, and I read a lot, and it was the furthest thing from athletic. So I I liked to play basketball and ball hockey Mm -hmm. with my buddies, but no no commitment to fitness whatsoever. And around 17, 18 years old, I discovered, well, I rediscovered martial arts, and that became a passion of mine. And sort of know where you're going with this, because a lot of people want to know if in Canada, that's sort of a... uh, what would you call it? Like a prerequisite for working in the intelligence or even law enforcement? Yes. They didn't even look at it. They they had very little interest in it. Um, they had very little interest in your physical capabilities at that right. time. Yeah, because in Canada, we're all about, um, because we're such an open and democratic society, the intelligence service tries to be about reputation, uh, rather reputation, but um, 
relationship building, right? Mm -hmm. So whether we're talking with people who pose a threat to security or talking to the people that are giving us information about them, it's not about intimidation or the weight of authority. It's about having them trust us because we're trustworthy, because we're kind, because we have rapport. So it was about people skills. More so than anything else. More than anything else. They, yeah, they couldn't be bothered with my physical abilities as a, a covert ninja, you know? Okay, because we, we see this, right? I, I guess maybe does Hollywood, um, do movies glamorize it a lot? Like mm-hmm. when we see these fight scenes or these car chases or, you know, yeah, you, you know, see Mission Impossible and, and we're changing. There's a certain... <laughs> there's mass, like, you, you know, what's the reality of the situation and, and the work that's being done? First of all, the work is very important, and we have and we have very dedicated professionals in Canada doing a tremendous job. You don't hear about attacks in Canada, with the exception of what happened in Toronto about a month and a half ago. You're not hearing about these attacks for a very good reason. People are very diligent, and they're working very hard to keep us safe. And that can be sometimes a very mundane job. It can be very rote, very repetitive. Car chases don't really happen. We have we have a group of guys and girls that follow people, um, and they do some things that would be probably t- termed aggressive under the Highway Traffic Act. But you're not going to see the things that you see like in the movie Ronan or Jason, the Jason Bourne movies. Um, getting into hand-to-hand fights with people not happening. Um, some of the covert stuff that they allude to in those movies might happen in certain circumstances. There's certain very specific professionals that handle that kind of thing. Um, and that's about all I could say about that. Okay. Yeah. I'll get out. I'll, I'm going to get other stuff out of you in a second anyway. <laughs> so you've got uh, an engineering background. Uh-huh. You're kind of working in IT. Mm-hmm. You've gone back to martial arts just because you're passionate about that. You yeah. know, uh, you know, as a young adult, you're, you're doing this. So how do you get approached? Like what, what's the, what's the movement from sitting, we're doing IT work to then the training that went into what you ended up doing? Well, it's interesting. Was this somebody that was close to me at the time was employed there and suggested that I, I take the plunge? So I went through the uh, I went through the application process, and I was I was a good candidate, and I made it I made it through their first few. When you were first approached by this friend to said, "I think you should do this or put in an application," yeah, does your head start spinning? Like, what are you thinking? No, I well, I, yeah. When I think back about it, I wonder if you know they were incentivized. I mean, I don't think that I was particularly attractive. I think that that person just saw in me maybe. The potential or the skills that mm-hmm. would be a good fit. But, you know, the service too also tries to keep its people close. So they prefer known quantities. Um, they will hire people who, who apply from across the country off the street. But if I was still working there, for example, and I walked a resume into human resources, you would get a file opened for you because you're being recommended by a vetted, security cleared, proven employee. So they're going to take. They're going to put a little currency into that. Mm-hmm. And they say, okay, this person may be more trustworthy than, than your average applicant. So that, I think, is probably the extent of it. Mm-hmm. I don't think I was headhunted. Right. I was, just, I was just an average guy with an engineering degree, you know. Mine. Okay, yeah. Being recruited by yeah. <laughs> Canada's top agency. So you get the application goes through. Mm-hmm. They bring you on board. Are you able to discuss a little bit of the training or what or how your mindset set then shifts because you have a very different way just in knowing you over the years a very different way of seeing situations and people Mm -hmm. and and everything they um well the first thing with the training is that they really encourage you to pull your head out of your own butt um so a lot of people that end up at CSIS Mm -hmm. they have a fairly uh, they have a little self-aggrandization complex you know they make you feel quite important it's a very special job you're the elite one percent you can't let that go to your head because ego is the enemy of relationship building 
and the training is very relationship focused. So there's there are equal elements of learning how to talk to people, learning how to listen to people, learning how to read between the lines, and then there are there are analytical as aspects. You know, thinking critically. You know, what does this information mean? What does it mean in the context of everything else I've seen and heard about this thing that I'm asking about? So there's a lot of logic involved. There's a lot of puzzle putting together. Did it change your way of looking or seeing people? Like uh, seeing normal yeah. friends and what they say or being in, you know, at a family dinner and seeing things different? Like did you see people differently? I would say I related to people differently. Yeah. So I had, to, um, I had to stop talking about politics and religion, even recreationally with family because... Once you're exposed to certain things that are close hold, um, you know, you go to a family dinner and they're talking about the political situation or the war in Afghanistan or what have you, or oh, the threat of nuclear war. And I'm going to sit there with my mouth shut and say, guys, just, it's fine. You don't know what you're talking about, but you start to realize how knowledgeable everybody thinks they are mm -hmm. in a total absence of credible information. And, and so that gets frustrating. You have to learn to shut your mouth and just sit and smile. Um, I started to look at some groups of people differently, people that adhere to certain ideologies and have certain belief systems. I started to trust them quite a bit less. And then for a while, humanity in general was like not very appealing to me because I'd seen so much, you know, there's so much deception, so much subterfuge, so many people lying, bald face lies right to my face when I knew the truth. I had the truth literally written down in my back pocket and I could confront them with it and they would lie to my face repeatedly so yeah my, my faith in humanity took a hit for a little while but uh that, that that changed when i moved on you had to be out of the situation yeah too. yeah i have to detach completely uh there was a statement that you made that when someone says i understand mm -hmm. that they really don't like you're having yeah. a conversation with someone and, and they say those words you know like oh i understand there was something that you had written or said that i think that's I, not really the case yeah that might have come from an old podcast i did on um you know, persuasion and mm -hmm. communication. And so this is just my opinion. I think if you're listening generously to somebody and you're really doing that with the intent to understand where they're coming from, find common ground, find things that you can speak to um, mutually, don't use talking points. Don't use cliche saying, I understand, I hear you, whatnot. Those are, that, that's business school coaching for managers who are trying to motivate people. Okay, for people who fundamentally don't understand communication. If you tell me something very important or shattering to you and I say, I understand, my opinion is that's patronizing. I, I should be listening and, and empathizing with you and saying, that sounds like that was a terrifying experience. I think that if I had to go through that, I'd probably crap my pants. That's way better than saying, I understand. It, it gives you a sense, a sense of how I feel about what you feel. Right, which mm -hmm. is, that's that's an easier way to connect with the person. It's more genuine. Saying I understand is very pat. It uh, I think it's disingenuous, to be honest. I, I thought it was interesting to see that because I, I'm trying to think back to how many conversations I might have said to someone. I'm like, okay, yeah, I understand. Well, and you know, it's okay in normal conversation, <laughs> yeah. right? But when somebody lays something heavy on you, um, mm -hmm. they're they're looking for a bit of engagement. You know, they're looking for some meaning mm -hmm. to, the, to the conversation. Over the course of the years that you worked. I like to say it because it sounds fancy. That's a Canadian spy. Uh, <laughs> did it take you around the world? Did it uh, take you to different places? Uh, domestically, I went here and there. So CSIS is um, Canada's domestic security intelligence service. We're kind of a hybrid beast. We, a lot of the frame of reference that we have is, you know, FBI, CIA, 
right. in the U.S. Yes. And um, they have very different mandates and functions. The service is a non-law enforcement body, okay? Yeah. So we can't enforce the law, arrest people, we don't have guns, etc. But we operate domestically, primarily. So we have to collect the information here in Canada about threats to Canada. There are exceptions to that, right? Mm -hmm. If anybody's interested in reading the CSIS Act and you read between the lines, you'll see that there are opportunities to do different things in different places. But my primary function was here on Canadian soil. Um, I did not personally conduct any activities outside of the country. When you think of the physical training, though, did you, when you say that they were about the intellect, right, mm -hmm. uh, and about uh, the services that you could do and read people and, and relationship building, um, was there a physical, a physical aspect or training to it? The, yeah, the last couple of days of training, they gave us a bit of a self-defense course that was, you know, not bad, but that, that was it. That was it. But you had your own sense of mm -hmm. military or martial arts training because I have seen you you know, make mincemeat out of a dummy. Uh, so where did that type of training come into play? That I honestly, if you're trying to envision a Jason Bourne fight, right. you'd be, you, you could be right in there with them. So my, my preference is, um, my training has so much more to it than the physicality. So mm -hmm. awareness was, is really the biggest piece of it. So learning to approach the world with a certain eyes, wide open ears, wide open point of view, learn what human body language communication looks like learn to understand normative behavior so that when something's wrong you see it coming a mile away that was a big part of my martial arts training and my training also include included verbal de-escalation so handling situations before they became violent um so even though i, I love the physical side of it the mm -hmm. hands and feet it's absolutely the last thing i want to do i've had to do it a handful of times in my life it never ends well for at least one person so i, I really hate laying hands on people. I prefer to talk. Um, so that came in very handy in my training because by the time I had um, joined CSIS, I think I had seven or eight years of training under my belt, stress-tested training, a lot of verbal training, a lot of awareness training. So I was able to confidently approach very hostile people and at least get them to listen, at least get them to let me stick my foot in the front door and talk to them for five minutes and learn how to manage being assertive without being intimidating, you know? So the training contributed a lot to that. Because that's how I know you, right? That right. there's a side that I know could. Yeah, could, but doesn't want could, to. Could, but doesn't. Uh, and I think we'll see that, and we've seen that in you trying to get that message across to other people, just so that they have their own personal safety in their everyday lives. You're in this situation with CSIS for a number of years. What was the decision to leave that line of work uh, and then br brought you into the, the work that you're doing now? It, uh, it just wasn't aligned with who I wanted to be anymore. I found that uh, the nature of the work demands a certain personality and um, it, was, it was eating me up a little bit on the inside. So it's very important work, but I, I wasn't suited for it anymore. Um, it was a really personal decision. It was, it was hard to make because it's an interesting line of work and mm -hmm. I, I still have a lot of people at that organization that I, I love and respect who are doing tremendous work and uh, I miss them but you know we're necessarily out of touch now um but yeah it was just you're necessarily out yeah. of touch that's an interesting yeah well I'm I'm, I'm way to put it out in the cold so to speak right so right. they they inhabit a world there where they have to be very circumspect they have to be very careful and if we're being quite frank uh, like I'm nobody's favorite son anymore right you don't leave a place like that whether you retire on good terms or you leave otherwise, once you're out of the family, that's how it goes. 
So, yeah. I, I, I kind of sense that, and mm-hmm. I feel that. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of lumped a line of work where you kind of, once you're out, you're, 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 you know, yeah, you're, you're kind of, you're out. So you you make this decision to leave. It doesn't quite align with where you were hope, wanting to be in your life. Mm-hmm. And so how do you take what you know and what you're trained at and, and create this other business way of life that is... <laughs> That is shifting towards a different side. Uh, I don't know how to answer that. Mm-hmm. I jumped without a net. Um, I, I guess that the training that I'd gone through with my teacher prepared me to just have absolute, unmitigated, ridiculous faith in my own capability. I knew if I if I fell, I'd bounce, and if I splattered, at least I'd heal. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I just felt that whatever I was about to do, I'd figure it out. So I don't have a clear straight line answer for that. Mm -hmm. I just knew that I was going to go into something that I felt was important to me. Uh, I was going to reach out to people. I was going to give them my message and uh, I was just going to push hard. So then you start with a little bit of PI work. Mm -hmm. Did a little bit of investigating. A lot of some investigating, um, some self defense classes a lot of self-defense a lot of defense. so that was the establishment of ronin training right yeah, right. um which is i think pretty much when we yeah when we, we met around what tw- may 2015 i think was yeah, when we met that and, sounds right um at that point i had i was still kind of in the investigating yes. game but slowly winding that down and putting more focus into training people in in self-defense and safety and i went more fully into that mm, i want to say Probably, we'll say mid-2016. And so this is where I want to focus so that the people mm-hmm. listening, I mean, your story is fascinating, but I, for people that are listening, a lot of what you're going to say is going to come into their everyday lives, which they don't always... Yeah, they're not going to want to hear most of it either. I, I, I There's some scary things, mm-hmm. and it's going to throw you off a little bit of your everyday habitual yeah. things that you do. Is that a fair, fair way fair. of putting it? Yeah, that's fair. That's gentle. Yeah. <laughs> That's gentle. So let's let's kind of break it down okay. because this is um, kind of this personal safety aspect to this. Uh, and then we'll kind of break down. Where do you want to start with personal safety? Do you want to start with... I'm going to start uh, with grandma's wisdom because my, okay. my grandma's a wise woman with mm-hmm. uh, idioms and one-liners that could prepare you for life. If you just shut up and listen to my grandmother, you'd be good to go. Uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. That an ounce of prevention? Is worth a pound of cure. Okay. So... Pay attention to what you're doing. What, you know, you know, you've got kids, right? And you've got kids, and when they're doing their homework, if they start to drift off or fool around with Instagram or they're distracted, you got to tell them, "Hey, focus. Do your math problems. Pay attention. It's only half an hour. Get it done." You have to put your head in the game, whatever you're doing, whether it's driving your kids to school or preparing yourself for a job interview or going to the gym or crossing the street. Get your head in the game. Avail yourself of all of your senses. Focus on what you're doing. Because if you lack awareness, you are a moving target just for nature and circumstance, you know. But half of us half of us will always say you're kind of just floating through life. Sometimes, sometimes I'm driving my car and I get to my destination. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't rem- I have no idea. I do not remember that drive. Yeah. We go into cruise control. Mm-hmm. We go into cruise control with so much of our lives, even prepping in the kitchen yeah. or, or taking a shower. You're not even thinking about things anymore. No. And, and I'm not, not to say that that's universally dangerous. There's certain things that your brain allows you to do <clears throat> so that, you know, you don't have to handle massive reams of information. Your brain cannot actually handle all the input that gets thrown at it through your senses. So you, you habitualize things and you make certain things routine. 
you know, that's why we pack our lunches for a week. So we don't, it's one less thing we have to think about, but the driving on cruise control is particularly interesting. It's one of the first questions I ask people when I do a self-defense training is how many people drive to work the same route every day? And almost all the hands go up and say, great. How many stop signs, how many stop lights, how many crosswalks, how many cars do you recognize every day? And they can't answer it. Even if they've been going 10 years, the same route, they can't tell me how many right turns they make even if they do the same thing every day. And to me, that's that's kind of scary because what if there's a blip in that? What if one day a little kid runs out in the crosswalk that you're used to going 10 kilometers an hour past normally? You've done it every day for 10 years. And that there's that one variable that you didn't account for because you weren't paying attention, right? That's why it's so important to be switched on to what you're doing at all times. When you were talking to these women in, or people in your class and you're like, hey, you've gone the same way every day, do you suggest that they change it up? Is it fresh on the mindset? Like what? Uh, well, I know you're going to say that in terms of... Yeah, that's the yeah. spy in me will say, yes, categorically change your route every day. But unless there's a real threat to you, mm -hmm. that's not necessary. If I mean, if you're not being stalked or if, um, if you know, you don't feel that there's a threat to your safety, varying your route, not necessary. But it can be good to shake it up every once in a while. You know, turn off Waze or Google Maps and figure it out for yourself. Get get to know your neighborhood. Um, just you know, add some freshness of experience to your life because it keeps you it keeps you aware. Mm. I don't have any of those uh, navigation. Waze. No, yeah. I don't do the navigation. I like knowing directions and knowing where I'm at and being able to tell yeah, somebody so. you're going to take a left at the place where there's that sign that says this, you know, like, oh, I, I'm from that generation. I too. like that still. Um, and if I really, really have to, I, I'll, I'll say to someone, can you just mention out the, the directions and <laughs> let's just go look it up on the app. So I have, that's some things that I have to do. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to kind of centralize this. Let's start because you had mentioned Instagram, you mentioned mm -hmm. stuff. Can we, let's go to our phones. Right. All right. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to kind of go through a checklist now. Okay. Okay. Our phones. Yeah. It has shifted drastically mm -hmm. and that, uh, you, if I remember correctly, only use a flip phone. Still do. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> a tiny flip phone that you have to press the buttons got on. Got it right to, here. To, right. Are um, we on video here? Here it is. Yep. Yeah. He's got the flip phone, yeah. and you got to press the numbers a couple times yeah. to get the letter that you need. Takes me ten minutes to text you. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, that's why the texts are usually pretty short. What what have our phone? What have our devices cost us or created of a situation? Ooh, okay, so you're yeah. hitting on something I'm passionate about because I do consulting on obviously in privacy and security. This podcast is brought to you by Extension Marketing. They're a new breed of marketing agency that acts as your virtual marketing department, designing and implementing cost-effective marketing strategies that will grow your business. I can speak to this personally, as I've been using the Extension Marketing team to help me launch and grow my business. Founder Pat Whalen has been a lifesaver for me, a genuine coach guiding me along the way into uncharted territory. Tell them you're a friend of the show and receive a free one-hour consultation. Check them out at extensionmarketing.com. The first thing your phones cost you is your privacy. Um, I recognize the convenience that phones give us. So sometimes I drive myself mad because I have an iPod for the gym, mm -hmm. you know, and I have an iPad to read my iBooks and I go, oh, wouldn't it be great if I had one device for all of these sundry needs? And there's the iPhone X, right? And I could just do everything on that. But then, you know, there's my whole life in one device, zero privacy. So convenience is the trade-off for privacy. What people don't recognize is that your phone makes you into a product. So all of these things that you benefit from by using your phone, Snapchat, Instagram, free iTunes stuff, uh, Google, everything, you're not paying for it. And 
companies are in business to make money. If you're not paying, you're the product. Now you're going to say, how, how is that? Well, the information about you, not just the content of what you, what you do, but the information about how you do it, who you do it with, how often, where you are when you're doing it, how frequently you do it, what we call metadata. That information gets bundled up and sold off to advertisers and technology companies. Part of it's to improve the user experience. Part of it is to more directly market things to you. But one of the inherent risks is that all data is capable of being compromised. You, we had the Equifax breach last year. Did you hear about that? Yes. So Equifax, huge credit reporting company, one of the most trusted repositories of highly sensitive consumer information, your date of birth, all of your credit information. If there's bankruptcies, it's in there. Uh, your car loans, your SIN number in a lot of cases, your current address, phone number, your job, your pay. And it got dumped. Millions of records got dumped on the internet. Sensitive stuff that allows a guy like me to go and steal your identity and take out a car loan if I want. Okay, yeah, so that, what is the danger of it? I mean, you know, it's convenient and it's fun and it's easy mm -hmm. for us to, to log in. Um, what is What are we putting ourselves at risk of? For most people, the real world danger right. it, the real world danger is financial fraud or identity theft. How often does this actually happen? More often than you'd care to admit. If it hasn't happened to you, you know that's a great thing. It's happened to somebody in my immediate family twice, um, and I've had uh, actually had a fraudulent transaction on one of my credit cards just last week from a very reputable provider who, um, like the cancellation that they confirmed as a cancellation, didn't cancel. So I got hit with a fraudulent charge. That's not the same thing as identity theft, but it just goes to show that even when, when you put your faith in an arm's length entity that you can't see and can't touch, things can happen. So what are you looking for people to do then? Like what are the, what are the measures that we're taking to um, protect our privacy and try to mm -hmm. limit how much access? So what I'm, gonna, what I'm gonna say is gonna sound radically inconvenient and probably a little bit tinfoil hat. Um, but the first thing that, that I do, I use a prepaid phone, right? So that way the phone number that I have is known to the people that I wanna have it, but my phone number and my credit information, my address are not known to a phone company. Cause that's a point of vulnerability where information can be stolen. And that's a really rich repository of information. So if you can do prepaid, Prepaid. Okay. Right. So you've just lost 90%. Right. You've just lost 90% of the people right now. Exactly. Okay. So if you're going to go and put your name in, here's another thing you can do. I hate, hate, hate having my physical address. So where I sleep with my wife and my baby, that address is not attached to my name anywhere in the known world, right? So. But it's asked of us on every single thing right. that we fill out. So I, so I say, oh, you had a Starbucks when I walked in here, right? I yeah. think it was a venti. Yeah. What was in that? Really? Yeah. Are you gonna? So I'm gonna just do a case study here. You're gonna do a case study? Yeah. Okay. Most people know my order. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at the five different Starbucks locations that I go to, <laughs> <laughs> it's venti, sugar-free vanilla, sugar-free vanilla, lactose-free milk, okay, with the blonde espresso, oh boy, extra hot, and no foam. Was that about? Four seventy-five, five bucks. Oh, it's you don't even want to know. You're ah. you're short by two. <laughs> okay, so I, I do tell people it is my one vice. I don't buy shoes. I don't buy purses. I don't buy anything. I have one coffee a day. Okay, so yeah. one. Okay, yeah. one a day. So do you get one of those every day? Every day. Okay, so five working days, thirty-five dollars. No, we're we're seven days a seven, week. Forty-nine dollars. Yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. times four. So that's 
Yeah, and you don't think people have done this the calculation with me before? <laughs> we're at 196 bucks. I could go on. Month. I could go on a full five star inclusive. So that right there, yeah, that, that, that coffee, yeah, yeah. That, just your coffee cost alone for one and a half months. I want everyone yeah, to know I just took a sip of my coffee right now. It lasts me hours. <laughs> it lasts me hours. It's great. So what I'm asking people is, you know, if if you can do that, or you're buying a pack of smokes a day, or you're putting premium gas in your car, or you're you know, driving a car that you've been thinking about changing because it's a gas pig, it costs $250 a year to get a P.O. box. So you can get your, you can use that as your address for mail, for shipments on your credit cards, everything, right? And that gives you a layer of privacy from your actual residence. It's not, not all that expensive when you think about it. That's one thing you can do. Okay. So when we're putting in that address information, yeah, get a P.O. box. Yeah. The other thing you can do, a lot of people don't realize this. You get a, you get a visa from your bank. Um, you can order a supplementary card. So they'll, they'll tack on another annual fee. Usually if your annual fee is 99 bucks, a supplementary card is $30. Again, right? Weigh the cost and benefit. It, you can put whatever name you want on that card. You can put whatever address. So you could put that P.O. box address. And then you can use that card on Amazon. You can use that card when you go out, you know, if you want to go to a Starbucks in a different town and you don't want to start establishing a pattern of what you do in your real life to your real name, use that secondary credit card. And and that way, you, you, Leanne, are effectively invisible, but whoever you conjure up as your secondary card holder seems to be the person making the purchases on Amazon, on iTunes. Okay, but I'm just like a... I'm, I'm just, I'm just a, normal, a normal person. I mean, right? and to be honest with you, I had a bit more of a high profile for, for 20 years. Okay, so, but as a normal person So now, as a normal person, like... What do you have to hide, right? Right. Like, what, what am okay. I hiding? I, I'm, there's so nothing here's to the hide. question. So yeah. l- let, me, let me get one of those body cams that the police officers wear now mm-hmm. and follow you and Tony and your girls around for a week. I mean, everywhere. I mean, like, to the gym, mm-hmm. your dinner table. Um, I'll, I'll hang out in the corner of your bedroom will observe all of your conversations i'd like the passwords for your instagram your facebook and your email if you've got nothing to hide let me log into your bank account privacy is not about what you have to hide everybody has a level of what they're comfortable sharing and what what you disclose among your family i mean even within a family unit right you've got dinner table conversation and you've got mom and dad say to the girls this but then there's mom and dad stuff and then there's little secrets that you have with your kids and you're like, don't tell dad, right? And, and then as you broaden the family unit, there's stuff that doesn't leave your household and there's stuff that doesn't leave the immediate circle of mom, dad, grandma, etc. Within your circle of friends, there are three or four trusted people and some of that stuff doesn't get repeated to the people that you go out for drinks with every couple of weeks. Privacy is about judiciously deciding what you want to share with whom and how and when. It's not about hiding things. Um, otherwise, we would, why don't we just throw our lives open to everybody? So really, we're hard, what, what we're trying to do is not allow... Not allow people, first of all, who don't deserve to know the most intimate details of your life. Don't give that to them for free. But they're giving it to me. Why? Because they have all my information when I fill out an application or I mm-hmm. log into a, a social media site. They're getting it. Right, but you can mitigate that. So you can mitigate that by creating uh, email accounts. Everything's free, right? Gmail's free, Yahoo's free. You can create email accounts just for your social media. I know it's an annoying, but you can you can forward the emails. You're not social media platforms like Facebook and Instagram. They don't really send you any emails except for those annoying. Hey, our privacy policy has changed. Right. You can just forward that stuff. They're never going to send you anything important. So if they're not sending you anything important. Why do they need your real email address? The one that you 
have given to the bank, the one that you communicate with your husband with, the one that you use to send condolences to friends when you find out someone dies. What are people doing with the emails? Like, what are... What can we do, you mean? Yeah. There's a number of things you can do. So you can... I use a, a service called Proton Mail. I like it because it's secure, right? So between people that have a Proton Mail address, it's completely encrypted. When I log out of my mailbox, it's also completely encrypted. So your Gmail account is not encrypted. What that means is that Gmail's... Well, how many hackers are out there? Like, it's not the hackers, well, so it's the companies. It, it's Gmail itself reads your emails to decide how to... It, it, we don't have employees reading the emails. That's, that's asinine. But they have technology which scours the content of your inbox, your address book, all of that stuff to find out what it can do to pop up ads to you. And that might just be a minor nuisance for most people. Mm -hmm. But the problem is that when that information leaks out into the public, then it's a privacy problem, right? So most people don't mind being marketed to. It's, see, for me, right. Yeah. It's like it's a nuisance, but it, yeah. it allows me to kind of go on easily with the days. What I what I I know that you're going to say is wrong is our email, our passwords. Oh, yeah. So, you know. I have, I have a feeling most people aren't going to go get a prepaid phone and are kind of do sure. this, but we are going to have 10 different passwords needed for a mm -hmm. whole bunch of different things. Yeah. And most of us tend to do... The same password. <laughs> the same password. Uh, or, you, you know, and yours is like, it can't, you don't want it to make sense. Yeah. Well, I'm going to give you something that maybe be a sigh of relief for okay. your... You don't need a password that changes, you know, I's and L's for exclamation marks and ones and S's for dollar signs and makes it impossible to remember. So I know that we've been told, throw in numbers and letters. Mm -hmm. and that's actually, what that does is create a password that is really frustrating for you to remember and really easy for an automated system to guess just by running combinations. What is actually a better password strategy is to use pass phrases. So you take... um something consisting of six to seven words, okay? So you, you could come up with a meme in your mind like... Um, like what, I'll be back? Yeah, but I'll a little more complicated. Just <laughs> okay. a bunch of nonsense words like... like Supercalifragilistic? But with no. some spaces. So let's say, you know, blue pumpkins flying merrily over Santa's head. Or something nonsense. And you, you picture it. And you go, oh, okay, that's kind of stupid, but I'll remember that. The thing is that when a computer's trying to crack a password, it doesn't make a distinction between a letter, a number, an uppercase, a space, a question mark. They're all just part of a big set of possible characters and it runs through them at an incredible speed, right? So numbers and letters and all that stuff, that, that was meant to confound humans trying to guess your password. But humans don't do that anymore. They, people know that they're not supposed to use password one, two, three, or, or I am God, exclamation mark. They know that they're not supposed to do that. What you're trying to do now is make your passwords hard for computers to smash through. So it's more computers that we're fighting than it is yeah. actual people. The technology to crack passwords and just br brute force assault, you know, an email account and, and try thousands of passwords a second is it's anybody can pick it up off the Internet. And here we are just trying to be creative in our yeah. own little, uh, you know, yeah, changing dollar signs, for S's to dollar signs yeah. and, and so forth. So just for your listeners, if you want to create good, strong passwords, Google Diceware and, and check out what Diceware is. It just it, it advises you to create passphrases with a number of different words. The longer you make the passphrase, the more complex it is, the harder it is to guess. So if you have seven, seven words, let's say seven words on an average of four to five letters each separated by spaces, there's not a computer on earth presently that will do that in under a billion years. So it's a safe password. There you go. Adam said it here on this podcast. Okay. 
Password's one thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I know people have gotten at least better in, if they're not using the same one, they've got like these apps now that tell them what their password is yeah. for every single possible thing that we need passwords for. I can't even remember at this point. It's it, it's overwhelming. Yeah. Um, but the, the safety aspect, we're on our phones, we're looking mm -hmm. down, um, we're getting uh, watched, if people are watching. We are now, and I want to get to this because school has just started, we have women, we have people walking on campuses yeah. so who are walking with their devices, with their heads down, looking at phones. So let's go through personal safety mm -hmm. and how people physically uh, and with their awareness can be better at protecting okay. their surroundings. So you're going to hate me. Your listeners are going to hate me, but I have to say it. Um, one of the most poignant demos that I do with the high school uh, girls' self-defense is I ask, you know, who's got a phone here? And all the hands go up, of course. We're talking about grade nine girls. So I say, okay, what I want, uh, what I want these young ladies to do is I'm going to give them, um, I want them to stand about 20 feet away from me, facing me, and just walk towards me. And I say, when you get the slightest sense of ew, like any sense of nope at all, whether it's a facial expression or the way I walk, I want you to turn and run away as fast as you can. And usually they'll catch the body language cue within a second or less, okay? Now I say, okay, you know, pull out your phone and I want you to legitimately, just legit, text somebody who's in your class right now sitting right over there and say, can you believe this bald old guy is making me do this stupid thing? Walk towards me, same thing. As soon as you feel danger, run. This girl will bump right into me and I'll have my hands around her neck before she realizes that something's actually happening because her eyes are down 45 degrees, she's reduced her field of vision and taken her concentration off of where she's going. And it's so drastic, right? I know I'm a big, ugly guy, but I can close a distance of 20 feet in probably three seconds or less. Right? That you Well, you remember when we did that self-defense demo on air. Yeah. That was lightning fast, right? We did um, a scenario where I was walking um, late at night, yeah. uh, and I knew I had to get from Destin a, from A to B, and I knew somewhere along this route I was going to be attacked. So first off, I already have the sense that something is about to happen, right? My, and you know how to hit because we'd been training. And I know how to hit because you and I have been boxing together for years. So um, so I feel like I, I at least have some mm -hmm. yeah, like built up... <laughs> Some expectation, at least, right. right? You know, but the adrenaline's going, and it's dark at, at, at night, and so I at least knew, be aware, mm -hmm. uh, and that's something that I think I've always just been based on my life, and and just always knowing in where I am in a certain situation. But still, um, and I wasn't on my phone. I mean, no. I had my phone in my hand, kind of with a dial ready to dial somebody if I felt like I was uncomfortable. I wasn't listening to music, which nope. is another thing you're going to say as we all yeah. walk with uh, music and the buds in our ears. Um, but I was still thrown off because what had happened is while I was waiting to have somebody come out of the bushes, there had been someone who had drawn my attention elsewhere, right? right? Uh, and so the awareness factor of, of trying not to be thrown off, like, yeah, you had eyes up, ears open. You had expectation. You knew yes. not just that something was going to happen. You knew something bad was going to happen. Yes. And it was staged and you were prepared. And you still got distracted. Yes. And a momentary distraction. Um, and the distraction, if I recall correctly, was fully across the street. So you just turned your head. I think it was about, we're on video here from, I think it was 30 degrees to the right. And in that time, boom. I think I, I closed on you 20 feet. Yes. Uh, and it was... And I knew that that was probably... Like that you were setting me up for something, right? Like right. That I'm like, oh, there's someone there who was about to ask me for directions or something or they were on their bike and had a flat, you know, uh, and it happened uh, so, fast. so fast. And so 
let's go through that because I already knew mm-hmm. not have the earbuds in. How often do you see people walking on campus? Oh, all, all too often. Uh, if it's not one thing, it's both things, right? So they'll have the earbuds in and they're looking down at the phone. And uh, another thing that I use, I give credit to my friend Chris Roberts uh, from Safe International about this. He does. The, he's big on how you carry handbags and bags, okay. gym bags. If you're wearing the strap across your chest, you're basically giving a handle on your upper body to an attacker to just drag you to the ground. So we've got, you know, bags across the chest or heavy backpacks right. strapped up, headphones in, eyes down, maybe having a very loud conversation too. So your, your cognitive, the cognitive portion of your mind, the executive function is also occupied, right? Because you're, you're, you're in the middle, you're in the middle of something, you're thinking and your, your cognitive mind's not super good at, everybody likes to say that they're good multitaskers. They're just really good at switching from one thing to the other really quickly. Your brain really only does one thing effectively at a time. And if it's having an argument with your biffle, you're not going to be able to recognize and respond to the threat of somebody grabbing you or screaming obscenities at you or uh, attempting to sexually harass you, assault you at light speed. You know, you're just, you're going to be overwhelmed. Okay. So how then do you want people to wear their bags? <laughs> like, uh, Well, I mean, wear, wear it off the shoulder if you can. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to try to make a habit of carrying my gym bag off the shoulder. Um, you know, if you're going to wear an earbud, I get it but maybe one not two um there's no real panacea for this for the cell phone it's better to just not text and walk or not be snapping and walking it just takes your eyes off where you're going there are rising incidences now of people getting hit in crosswalks and it's not the driver's fault it's because they're texting and walking it was the point i think where the ontario government for a while was saying we might need to introduce a texting and walking well law. i think there are there are campaigns that are like that yeah. i mean that are that are putting that in so you have uh females on campus yeah um I was always one to let a person know when I was leaving and when mm-hmm. I, hey, I'm just leaving the library. Yeah. I should be home in 10 minutes, right? Absolutely. Um, how, how important still is, especially for young women, having... And you know what? I'm going to caveat this. Okay. I, think, I think it's sad that we have to have this conversation, um, but I think we have to have this conversation. Um, I don't see why women should have to act any differently than young men. I don't see why they should be treated any differently, but this is how things are right now. Um, so everybody, when you're leaving late at night or you're going to be traveling alone, if there's a potential for danger, let a loved one know where you are, where you're leaving from, and when you estimate you're going to be home. My mom used to do this when, when I was a, a teenager. She'd say, I don't care if you're out until four in the morning. Call me and tell me that you're out until four in the morning so I know you're alive. If you are drunk and you need to be picked up, I'll come pick you up. I might be mad at you, but mm-hmm. it's, I prefer that to the alternative. So just, um, that's a little bit of, you know, it's self-love and it's accountability, you know, just let somebody you love and trust know where you are and when you're expected. We've talked about this before, I think, and and at least that gives somebody a start point if something happens, you know, if you don't show up on time and you're not answering your phone, you know, the first thing somebody might do is call the closest hospital and say, Hey, my, my friend was due home and I know that they were out partying. I was wondering, have they popped into your emergency room, you know, en route? At least you have a start point. If you have no idea... How... how Well, this is the thing, right? Is situations mm. happen and it's very quick. And so yeah. the faster you're able to... Um, being being prepared is, is, is so key. When we did some segments on festivals and mm. bars, and so you have back to school, you've got yeah. parties, and you've got open drinks, and you've got... Yeah. Um, I want to re- remind people and parents to 
make reminders of their young kids who are away yeah. or at, at parties. What are your suggestions there? Well, I think the first thing is that uh, students, young people, need to know their limits, right? And we've all been there. For God's sakes, I'm an engineer. Like, I, I pushed the limits of alcohol consumption <laughs> far too often. It's one of the things that we did in school, but it's not a smart idea. So learn your limits. And when you feel, if you feel that you're, you know, tired or dizzy or not feeling well it's time to stop drinking and grab a friend and go home you know like the party will go on and you'll miss out but no big deal because the alternatives can be worse so learn your limits and, and respect them be very careful when you're drinking that you know what you're drinking where it came from i'm i'm not a big fan of taking drinks from strangers it can be a nice gesture but it's just if you're going to get a drink from somebody ask just tell tell the bartender to make the drink for you and ask the person if they're cool with that. Don't let somebody order a drink for you and hand it to you because you lose the chain of custody, so to speak, right? You don't know whether that drink's been tampered with or what it actually is. It used to be a big joke for uh, in university that once everybody was good and nicely toasted, out comes the tequila and people would be pressured into doing tequila shots and it would be funny to see if you could sneak one past the goalie. Right? How many people can we get to drink a shot? Well, that's catastrophically stupid. You know, people, people die of alcohol poisoning because of jokes like that. So pay attention. Don't take drinks from strangers. Um, keep an eye on it. You know, when a bartender is making you a drink, watch them. There it's was, not really the bartender that I'm concerned of. Is that you're standing at a bar with a drink and then you turn your head and someone's, and right? These are, the, these are the nightmares that I have now having right. young daughters as to how, how do I educate them on being in these situations. Yeah, one of the things that young women can do is just keep their hand over the, the mouth of the glass when they're not drinking it. Or some bars will even give you, a, uh, I think that they start to serve more in plastic cups. You can get a top and drink it from a straw. I know it's silly. It's not a Starbucks. Well, but yeah, but it's, it's, yeah. it's keeping you, know, you safe, right? Again, I'm, 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 it it's sort of sucks that we have to have this conversation. I wish this wasn't happening, but maybe two things that I'll interject here, especially for young women when they're thinking about their own safety, is that um, when, when we talk about, violent attacks so whether it's somebody suddenly flipping the switch and getting violent or whether they've started out being verbally aggressive and it's escalating to physicality um, never underestimate the gravity of male aggressiveness because a guy that goes off the handle is it can be terrifying right um, so that and I'm not making excuses I just be aware that badly behaved men can make things way worse. Okay. Well, then right? you have an audience of women right now. Yeah. What are what are what is our reaction then? It's difficult. I'm, the first thing I'm going to advocate, and I'm going to refer to the work of uh, Dr. Charlene Sen at um, I believe she's at the University of Manitoba. She's done extensive studies on sexual assault and deterrence strategies, and uh, working with survivors of assaults. And what she found definitively, the most effective way to reduce successful sexual assaults against women was teaching women self-defense. She said the women that are trained even in beginner level self-defense have a 50% less occurrence of completed sexual assaults. So, I mean, that's it's great for a guy like me because that's my message too. Your mom put you in swimming lessons when you were four right through to you were 12. You probably had to learn first aid. To maybe um, your parents insisted on you learning an instrument, taking skating lessons, doing gymnastics, playing some sports. Driver's ed, all considered necessary life skills, right? Why are we not teaching our kids that defending themselves and assertiveness and protecting themselves against bullies at every age is also a life skill? 
Because we see that as aggression. Right. Right? That's one of the things that I do, though, is I reframe aggression, right? Because aggression is part of the human condition. It's there, and it's not going away. Learning how to be proactive about letting it out of the bag and learning how to control it and use it productively, is, is it's a very important life skill. You So, I mean, you run self-defense classes for women. So what would take us through a typical, like, what, what sure. are the situations that they're learning or well, the, the movements, yeah. The first thing we do is spend a good good amount of time talking about awareness and body language and how to convey self-confidence because I draw the distinction between uh, becoming a target of aggression and becoming a victim of violence, okay? And I'm going to, I'll tread carefully here because there are a lot of people who are victims of violence and there was nothing they could ever do about it. There are a lot of those situations that are very sad um, and that's sort of beyond my expertise. But when we talk about the transition from being targeted to being victimized, that's something that a lot of people can control. So I've been targeted for violence multiple times. It never escalated because of the way that I chose to handle the aggressor. Um, I've walked into violence that was being done by people to each other and changed the tune of that song, okay, just by, by the approach. So the first thing we talk about is how to comport yourself confidently how to show a potential aggressor that you're going to be a problem for them so that they find, they lose interest and they go looking for trouble elsewhere. That's another thing, okay? It's, it is not a zero-sum game. If you deter the potential rapist, that's not the end of his raping days. He'll just go find somebody else. It's an inconvenient truth, but um, that's how it is. So better not be you, okay? So we, we teach awareness, confidence, skills, uh, assertion skills, how to boundary set both verbally and physically to demonstrate that you are prepared to protect yourself. Then we move into the physical stuff. So the things that you're familiar with, the striking and the hitting and the kicking. And then we apply that to what happens if somebody tries to grab you. What if they throw you on the ground? What if they get on top of you? And we work our way through a number of different physical assault scenarios where you're compromised, where your attacker is bigger and stronger than you, and you need to apply physical tools to get yourself out and run away. These are classes that you recommend most young women and women mm -hmm. take. At what age are you starting to... Um... Well, I, I, train, I train young women as young as... I've trained girls as young as nine because they've had trouble with bullies at school. And that's a different, we take a different tack there. We work on assertiveness and self-image and confidence and get them really feeling strong and powerful. Um, and I've worked with women from, you know, in the, the fuller, more uh, contact-oriented self-defense. I've worked with young women from ages, we'll say 13, so grade 9, right up into their 60s. Do you have older women that come and take the classes? Occasionally, yeah, occasionally. Often I see older women there in a professional context, right? So I'll be doing work with, you know, um, nurses or personal care workers. So the people that have been long in a profession where they're dealing with potentially unstable people or people that have um, mental illnesses or they have some type of um, autism spectrum disorder where, you know, they might become suddenly violent or... So, so occupational. Occupational, yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's difficult to have a conversation with a grade nine girl to say we're going to go and do this class on the onset of ever, hopefully never being in a situation. But that conversation is had when you open up the class. Yeah. And you know what? You might be surprised and, and maybe a little dismayed at how much grade nine girls already know. Um, we've had young women come up at the end of the class and pull us aside and, you know, say, can I, can I tell you something? Absolutely. I, I was sexually assaulted. How old are you? And they, they open up once they see that it's okay to 
you know, like empower themselves and it's okay to speak out against this kind of behavior. Um, I'm always shocked by how many young women have seen far too much and they're talking about it amongst themselves and boys at that age are certainly not above acting badly, right? That's when they start to really discover the, the language and the behavior that Okay, and you're all about behavioral, you, you watch people's behavior. So what could mm-hmm. we be looking at as, as we have young people growing up and to be able to distinguish between their certain behaviors and characteristics? Well, yeah. this is what you studied, right? You studied human behavior. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, for, for, your, for your young ones, especially when they transition, you know, between from it's, when it's from six to seven or eight to nine, if you start to see anxious, withdrawn behavior or their attitude changes significantly or they stop telling you things. Um, they start withholding things or if you ask them about school or you ask them about their friends, they're evasive or there's an anxiety type of response and it feels like they really there's something that they don't want to say to you. Those are good cues. Watch the body language too. If you ask a question and the body language indicates discomfort, you might have hit on something. What are the what are the signs then? Give us a, you know, uh, because, for in any situation, what are the signs of someone being well, with they uncomfortable. If, if they, um, for example, if they shrug their shoulders forward across their hands and sort of close up their upper body towards you, if they avert their gaze, if the tone of their voice starts to drop a little and they mumble, you know, so that they, they try to say something, but they hope you don't hear it too clearly. Um, if they make moves towards a door or turn away, turn their body away from you, they're trying to put up a bit of a barrier it's, it's all symbolic, right? They're putting a, a shield up between themselves and the question. If they, they wriggle in their chair when asked uncomfortable questions. I mean, you think if you have an honest dialogue with your kids as they're growing mm-hmm. up and you ask them a tough question and they know that they're going to get non-judgmental parental wisdom, they'll probably be honest with you. But if they've been threatened at school and told that if they talk to their parents, they're going to get beat up or, or called, you know, all kinds of names in front of other people and embarrassed on social media, they're going to clam up. And so you'll start to see those telltale behaviors. Well, and we can't even hit on uh, aggression on social media because that, yeah. that's it's a, a, whole, it's a whole, whole other beast. I just want to be able to have people be aware of certain things that they're doing. So list through like five things that you want people to take into consideration so that they feel they're well taken care of, they're mm-hmm. not being compromised, that their security, sure. their safety, their privacy, their way of doing things is, okay. is, the, is the right way. So the first and the simplest thing is pay attention to what you're doing and where you're going, okay? The second thing is walk, and I'm going to give credit to, to Jordan Peterson here because he's in the news all the time. Walk with your eyes forward and your head up and your shoulders back, okay? Portray confidence. Put some meaning into your stride. Look like you have somewhere to go because just the way that you walk and look at people sends a totally different message about who you are and who you think you are, okay? So that, those are two things. Be careful what you disclose, whether it's via text, whether you say it in a phone conversation or you post it on social media. There are just ways to capture everything now, right? Personal information is no longer really private. You see people, um, they uh, screen cap their text messages when they're having a battle with their friend and they keep it and they throw it back at each other later on or yes. they'll take a picture of it with another phone. So one of the features of Snapchat used to be that everything was self-destroying, right? And now people just record it with another phone. Um, so be careful what you disclose on, on digital media. Um, 
I think you had something about the cars. You know those little fancy stickers that you have on oh, your car? Yeah, that you have the, the, the stick mom, dad, two kids, and the dog at the back of your yeah, car? Yeah, sure. Like, so your so you're, you're sticker family, your, yeah. st- your stick figure family, plus all your bumper stickers, plus your license plate, gives me a beautiful view into your whole life. Uh, as a former private investigator, um, that tells me everything I need to know about where to look next if I want really compromising information, right? So... Don't put information about your family out in public. When we started the podcast, you, you very kindly said you're a new dad and we left it there, right? And and that's yes. it. Like you had the good taste not to ask me about my family or my, my child's name because I won't answer that question. Um, and that's what I suggest, you know, um, we're dealing with this now, my spouse and I, we haven't put anything on Facebook or anything. We're sending old fashioned photo cards to people on a mailing list because you know what? I don't really have 500 friends that matter. You know, I have people that I want to know about my child and they'll get a postcard. I don't need to announce it to the world, right? Um, So yeah, be careful what you put out in the physical world. I mean, gosh, 99% of us are completely guilty of doing that, Yeah, and we've caught a lot of flack too. My wife was telling me, she said, there are people that her sister knows who are mad at her sister that my wife's not putting social media updates on Facebook. She's like, who are these people? And so we're like three degrees of separation away. Um, It's just become such a part of our culture, right? But I mean, that doesn't, I used to say, just because something's normal doesn't mean it's, it's normal. Just because we've normalized it doesn't mean that, you know, it's, it's, it's cool or it's okay. We're just used to it. And that's part of the thing with social media is that they've marketed it so effectively to us. They've given us such awesome convenience that we're willing to do just about anything. Right, and yeah. that people are going to say that they're upset because the picture wasn't posted, yeah. that it really doesn't matter to them. Yeah, but it doesn't anyway. really matter. They just, they just have FOMO. Well, that's a, we're opening up a whole bunch yeah. of can of worms on, on all of this. <laughs> okay, so um, limit how much you're exposing. On, yeah. Um, we had phone, uh, we had walking, mm-hmm. we had even passwords. One of the other ones that a lot of yeah. people don't think about is um, your car, right? So uh, don't leave stuff... If you go to pick up something in the post office, for example, a package, we all know, especially on Christmas time, don't leave valuables in your car, right. lock them in the trunk. But there's something else to that, especially if you're getting packages. It's got your address and some, you know, fairly compromising personal information. So don't leave your mail, your packages, your credit card bills, statements, whatever, on the seat of your car. Throw them in the glove box or put them in the trunk. You know, just little things like that. I mean, just don't wantonly give out your personal information. I know I sound like a crazy person and 10 years ago, this would have been crazy, right? But the thing is, we're seeing it happen now. We're seeing that people's personal information is being stolen. And even if it's just, big air quotes here, just identity theft, yes, the bank will take care of it for you. And yes, those expenses will be refunded after you spend three to five business days pulling your hair out, calling the bank, calling the credit card, calling any other person that has that information changing your credit cards, calling your cell phone company and saying, I've got a new credit card. Yes, it'll all be fixed, but you're going to drive yourself nuts. So maybe the best case for you is that you lose a tremendous amount of time dealing with the frustration and that's as bad as it gets. I'm not willing to go through that. My day is too important to me, you know, if nothing else, right? 
Some interesting things. If people are interested in uh, looking at some self-defense classes or yeah. kind of following up on the discussion, what's the best way? Email getting... me. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was going to say, are we divulging this? You can call this, me on my flip phone. <laughs> on his flip phone. <laughs> I, like, you know, that's it. Like, yeah. you, you know. Email me at info okay. at Ronin Training, R-O-N-I-N, training.ca. I answer most emails less than one business day. Okay. Um, I meet. All of my potential clients one-on-one before we ever do a training session. You can also call me anytime, 613-627-3018. That's my business number. It, it'll get to me. I answer voicemails within a business day. Um, so no one can track down that number to where you live? To where I actually like, live. Like, let's be, you just gave out an email and a phone yeah, number. Right. So the, so the email is on a secure service. Yeah. Right? And the phone number is a voice over IP forwarding number. <laughs> <laughs> But you'll get the message. I'll get the message, and I will reply. <laughs> I am. I am. I'm. I'm interested to see what's going to happen ten years from now yeah. when we when we chat. When I have it implanted to... directly in my brain. Yeah, or no or in your child's right. right and yeah. then I'm like, what what have you been able to kind of carry forward? Uh, it was some really good reminders. I hope, uh, especially young women and women in general, take some of these things uh, to heart, especially as they're heading out uh, and starting school and walking on campus. Uh, that are there are things actually to consider. Um, and I think people might kind of look into some of their passwords and, yeah. and realize a lot of the times it's not some guy that we're thinking is hacking into things on the other no. side of the computer in a dark room in Russia. It's being it's being done. It's commerce. This is yeah, this it's is where well, the world it's is. being done on mass by people who are just trying to make take financial financial advantage, basically, right? It's a money motive. So the more people they can compromise, you know, if I hit you for a fraudulent $150 charge on your visa, it's a pain in the butt for you. But if I do that 10,000 times, that's a good payday, right? If I hit you for the full balance on your visa, that's going to raise some red flags. They're going to notice it and shut the card down right away. They're just little things. Little things. Little trinkets that are mm-hmm. happening. There's one thing I want yeah, to say. So yeah. we, you, you came back to young women. If there are any women in your audience who are survivors of any kind of assault or abuse, um, there's no such thing as a stupid question. And I have total discretion. So they can reach out at any time. And if they need training, if they want confidence building, if they you know need to reclaim their sense of self, I work with people that have been through that uh, pro bono. So just get in touch with me. We'll have a talk. And I'm happy to help anybody that really needs my help. It's really good to know. Thanks, Adam. Sure. Yeah, and I miss our um, I miss our I miss our training our, our training sessions. Yeah, I used to attempt to beat Adam up. <laughs> but <laughs> She's I can, quick. But I can throw a mean punch now. Yeah, you're, you're I tough. Actually, you're I actually I I can see it now. Uh, that uh, is the wrap up to episode thirty one of Living Your Life with Leanne Lang. As always, and this has been so cool, Adam. I was telling you before the podcast, we are starting to see this podcast. It has crossed oceans. Awesome. It is in Russia and Australia. I think there's Brazil and the Netherlands, Great Britain. It is so nice to see that this has really um, started to evolve. And so that's what we were hoping to see is we're slowly getting these segments built. Uh, if you have any feedback, if you have any questions, please like, subscribe, uh, let people know about it. That's the best way to keep this podcast growing. Thanks for your support. I look forward to hearing from you and we'll see you back here next week. It's said that the more time you have to invest, the greater the return. Well, guess what? Kids have the most time if we learn to invest early. That's why I created the Cash Kid Podcast, where I teach kids and some adults financial skills they need to know on how to earn, save, and invest their money. Join me on this journey as we interview experts and explore topics that allow you to grow your money as kids. 
This podcast will help you become the money expert among your family and friends. Just remember, anyone can be a cash kid. You just have to learn how to become one. Get ready to grow your financial knowledge and your wallet with the Cash Kid Podcast.